you would turn in your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. In light of the um, tragic event that happened last Sunday during the worship service at First Baptist of Sutherland Springs, Texas, um, it's, uh, I think, incumbent upon us to continue to get our perspective from the Word of God, and we're actually going to do a part three on some consideration that we, that we have already made. Um, before we start, uh, some of you perhaps saw this on the Internet. Good Samaritan, who shot Texas church gunman, the man who shot the gunman, needs our prayers, his friend said. And uh, we can certainly understand why. Uh, the Good Samaritan who shot the Texas gunman Needs our prayers, said a close friend named John Wood. Stephen Wilford, who confronted and shot Devin Kelly, then chased him down the highway, is distraught. I talked to him immediately after it happened, basically before any of the law enforcement arrived. Wood told the press, he called me and said to me, his friend, I just killed a man. Although Wilford shot Kelly twice, once in the leg and once in the torso, police now believe that Kelly died from a self-inflicted shot to the head. Wood, who is a retired minister and Air Force chaplain, said he just arrived home after church when Wilford called him. Relying on his training and counseling, Wood said he did a lot of listening and encouraging. The one who did this didn't want to be thought of as a hero, but just a kind of like good Samaritan, somebody who was willing to step up when it had to be done. And he kept saying, I'm no hero. Described by his friends as a faithful Christian, Williford gave credit to God. He said, I thank, I thank my God, my Lord, protected me and gave me the skills to what needed to be done. I was scared. I was scared, he said, but I knew something had to happen because I love those people. And I love the people that are in there, he said, asking for prayers from his community. He, he has the character of a man, Wood said. In everything, he does what he does, as John mentioned here this morning, in order that God might be glorified. So let's pray for this good Samaritan together. Okay? Lord, we thank you for uh, what is happening as a result of what happened. And we realize that people will be turning to you, and it's certainly a time to turn to you. And so we pray for this good Samaritan. We've been asked to pray for him. He's uh, receiving a lot of thoughts and anxieties, and yet he's trusting you for his needs. And we again agree in prayer. We who are here to worship in freedom this morning, we ask for the families who lost loved ones, and we ask for the families who have loved ones who are wounded and traumatized by this event. We pray, Lord, that you will minister to their hearts. And while we know there are some who 
believe that prayer doesn't mean anything or doesn't accomplish anything. We know it does. And so we support this church family, all of those families that have been hurt in one way or another, and we ask that you'll continue to minister to them that their needs may be supplied through Jesus our Savior. Amen. I put an insert in your bulletin from previous study. Actually, it was two separate studies. If you have it, you might want to take a glance at it. On one side of the insert, it talks about the uh, summary truth on evil and suffering. We're going to touch on that this morning. The other side is reasons why God allows suffering. And uh, these ten reasons are actually reasons which are given in Scripture for believers. Okay, You could make another list and talk about why God allows suffering with regards to non-Christians, those who don't believe in God. And, of course, you would have a bottom-line truth on that. Why does God allow suffering in the lives of non-Christians? And, of course, that would be that their suffering would cause them to turn to the Lord and recognize He's the God of all comfort. He's the God who provided for them through Jesus and a lot of these things. But reasons why God allows suffering, and you'll notice there's ten, and number ten, of course, um, is a threefold answer from 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, it, it's good to know these. It's good to keep this study because um, sometimes we have to ask ourselves the question, I wonder why God is allowing this in my life as a believer. Well, it could be for one of these ten reasons. And so please keep that. On the other side is the study which we had previously um, on truth and uh, truth on evil and suffering. And I'm going to just glance down through this, and then we're going to go into the Word of God this morning. Where did evil come from? Remember the Word of God says in First uh, Peter chapter three, verse fifteen: "Be ready to give an answer to everyone who asks you of the reason of the hope that's within you." And these are questions which are asked, okay? And we dealt with this previously. You may not have been here that Sunday. You may have been. Where did evil come from? Well, please keep this in mind. It didn't come from God, okay? Evil began when Lucifer, a created angel, rebelled against God. Lucifer was created with the capacity to make a choice, and he did, and he chose to rebel against God. Ezekiel 28:15 very clearly says you were perfect in your ways from the day you were created until sin was found in you. Ezekiel 28:15. Very important verse. Evil entered the world through Adam and Eve's disobedience to God. We'll be talking about this. Key verse, Romans 5:12. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men because all sin. This is the next question that's asked. Why doesn't God remove evil? Answer. God cannot destroy all evil without destroying humanity. Because all have sinned. You know, if we say, Lord, just destroy all evil. Hey, that's me too. Because as believers, we still sin. And we fall short of the glory of God. Now, our sins were covered by Christ on the cross. And when we sin as Christians, it can hinder our fellowship with God. But we do not lose our salvation. Okay. Once we're saved, we're in the family of God, and heaven is our destiny. But we still have the capacity to sin and displease God, and we should confess it quickly and make things right. 
So God doesn't destroy all evil without destroying humanity, period. Free will includes the freedom to choose wrongly. Evil and suffering are not good, but God can forgive sin and bring about good from those who turn to him by faith. Third one, how can God be good and still allow evil and suffering? We'll touch on this again today. An infinite and holy God has thoughts and ways that are higher than our ways. Please keep in mind Genesis 18.25. Abraham asked this question with regards to his being in the very presence of God. And he said, shall not the judge of all the earth do what is right? And of course the answer is yes he will. Number four, will God shut down all evil? Of course a day of judgment is coming. Those who have received Christ as Savior will not be unhurt here on earth when the judgment comes and falls upon the earth during the tribulation period. So that's a quick review of that message that we considered a number of months ago. Now today we want to again ask the question uh, which some people ask, why doesn't God do more with regards to restraining evil? It's a good question. It really is. But you know, there's a good answer to it, too. Uh, the book entitled, If God is Good, written by um, Randy Alcorn, has a lot of answers in it. It's a thick book. And he goes through the scriptures and looks at passages of scripture that talk about the fact that God is good. And we're going to look at some th things in just a moment. And he talks about experiences which people had in which uh, some tremendous suffering uh, occurred in their lives and yet it made them stronger spiritually in their relationship with God sometimes not right away so uh, in answer to the question why doesn't God do more with regards to restraining evil and suffering the answer is and Randy Alcorn states it this way I like it a lot he said God may already be restraining 99.99% of all evil and suffering just think if he wasn't restraining what this world would be like. You see, in our scripture reading this morning, we read 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7. Let your eyes look at the reference. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. There's lawlessness in our world, big time. Whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth, verse 8 rather, and uh, the destroy with the brightness of his coming. That is the lawless one. Now drop back to seven again. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do also until he is taken away. The restrainer now is God the Holy Spirit. And he's restraining evil in our world. And I like how Randy Alcorn in his book talks about the fact that if God wasn't restraining even now, oh boy, what would this world be like? Because the Bible is very clear. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Jeremiah, uh, what's it, chapter 9. Uh, so the point is, God is restraining evil in our world today. And our world would be so much worse if God were not working as he is in our world today. He is restraining evil. Now again, when it comes to the subject of um, evil and suffering, 
it, it's a it's a it's a topic that a lot of people grapple with, and we're going to see how they do this even in biblical times. You and I know that the root cause for evil and suffering is Adam and Eve's fall. Genesis chapter three. That's a historic event. Uh, God told Adam, uh, "You can have all the fruit of the garden, but if you partake of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil." If you eat that fruit, you shall surely die. Satan comes along and says, you're not going to die. Just like Satan comes along and says, people, today, there's no such place as hell. There isn't. And pastors and liberal theologians uh, don't believe in a place called hell. But Jesus did. Now, who do I want to believe? Do I want to believe someone who's got a little degree behind their name? Or do I want to believe what God said in his word? There is a place called hell. And those who do not have their sins taken care of in this life will spend eternity in hell which is cast into the lake of fire. It's very sad news. It really is. It's sad news. But the point is that there's good news. That Jesus came and died on the cross and paid for our sins so that we might have eternal life. But the root cause of evil and suffering in our world Uh, came from man, man's disobedience to God. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And it's a wonderful thing to know and to have in your heart and your life and your experience the knowledge that you are saved uh, if you're you're in relationship with God. So please keep in mind that uh, suffering in our world is due to man's sin, uh, but God is going to deal with it as we saw in that previous study. In fact, here's a reference that you might want to kind of keep in mind as well. It's Hebrews 9.27. I would like you to look at that verse with me. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27. Hebrews 9.27, look at the last part of verse 26 where it says, Jesus has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. The death of Christ on the cross dealt with the sin problem for man. When you were saved, you went to Jesus and you said, Lord Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me and paid for my sins. Now watch verse 27. So it is appointed unto men once to die... But after this, the judgment. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he's coming back again. He will appear a second time apart from sin. Not to deal with sin this next time, but for salvation for believers. So this is the great message of the Bible uh, with regards to sin in Christ. But the other part of the message is... It's appointed unto men once to die, and then after this, all men will stand before God. There will be a judgment day. I read a criticism on the internet of pastors, and I, you know, we we gotta we can't allow ourselves to say I don't want anybody criticizing. It was a criticism of pastors, and the criticism was the pastors do not inform their congregations enough that a day of judgment is coming. When men and women and all people will stand before God. Wow. And I ask myself the question, have I neglected to do that? Have I neglected to warn of a coming day when people will stand before God? Now, as believers, don't miss this now. Don't miss this. 
you will not be standing before God at the same time those who do not know Christ stand before God. There's two totally different judgments. Believers, Christians, we will stand before God and we will answer for the works that we have done, whether they've been helpful to others, whether we did them out of a right motive, and and these kinds of things. But non-Christians, when they stand before God, they will stand before God, yes, and their works will be judged, but they will stand before God and answer to the question, why did you not receive Jesus Christ as your Savior? God the Father will say, God the Son is at the judgment seat, actually. He will say, I went to the cross for you and paid for your sins. Why did you not receive me as your Savior? Very important. Now, I want to touch on another thing just briefly. We're talking about the questions people ask in relationship to suffering and evil. This is the, another question that's asked, okay? And the question is this. Since there is suffering and evil in our world, does God really care? It's a good question. It really is. Because of some people's personal experiences... And because of the barrage of bad news that you can see almost any evening on TV, people come to the conclusion that the world is just totally falling apart. And many people down through the years have struggled with the fact that, yes, there is still suffering and evil in our world. And, of course, when you go into the Word of God, you see that a number of people in Scripture struggle with that subject. Now, if, we, if we're going to stop, let's think together for just a little bit this morning. Let's think together. We really don't know why God allowed the event of last Sunday to happen. We just don't know. We just don't know. Okay, that, that would be a right answer. However, as we will see this morning, God is in sovereign control of our world. And I tried to think through last Sunday as well as you. And... Uh, it's tragic, and those people need our prayer support. Uh, whether or not some politicians in New York say prayer doesn't work. Isn't that neat? Wasn't that neat to hear that? Prayer doesn't work. You know? And I can see why they say that, because they have no relationship with God. But you and I who know Jesus Christ as our Savior know that God does answer prayer, and sometimes he says yes, and sometimes he says no. And sometimes he says, wait. And he may do that a lot, by the way. And sometimes he says, I'm going to answer your prayer in a different way than you're asking, but I will answer your prayer. You say, well, why do you say that? I like to, again, to go back to the Word of God, where uh, the Lord said in Jeremiah 33.3, that's called God's telephone number. He has a cell phone, you know. <laughs> he said, call unto me, <laughs> call unto me, and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. And please, I, I keep it. I can understand why these. There was a couple guys in New York said, "Ah, oh, God's not going to answer prayer, and you don't really need to pray for those people, it, it, for our leaders of our country to ask for prayer for people." That listen, when you hear that, just mark it down. They have no relationship with God. They they don't talk to God the way you do. They don't see God working in their lives the way you do. They've not experienced the new birth the way you have. So it's, it's, in one sense, it's natural for them to say, 
really prayer doesn't work, but they don't know that it really does work. Struggling with suffering. The psalmist said this, and again, people were answering the question, does God really care? The psalmist said in Psalm 42, 9 and 10, O God, my rock, I cry, why have you forgotten me? Why must I wander around in grief, oppressed by my enemies? Uh, Their taunts break my bones. They scoff, and they say, where is his God? And see, that's what they will say. The prophet Elijah went to the city of Zarephath, and he stayed there with a widow and her son. And while he was there, staying at their home, enjoying their hospitality, the the boy grew ill and he died. Elijah took the boy and laid him on a bed, and he cried out to the Lord. And listen listen to what Elijah said. Lord, my God, have you brought this tragedy on this widow I am staying with? Did you cause her son to die? And he, he's struggling with this. But of course God heard his prayer. It's very interesting. When he cried out to the Lord, the text of Scripture says, And the Lord sent the soul of the child back into him. 1 Kings 17.22 Habakkuk cries out. He finds out that the nation of Israel just keeps wandering away from God. And... Uh, putting God out of the public square. And violence is increasing in the southern kingdom of Judah. And Habakkuk asks, How long, Lord, must I call for help? And you do not listen or cry out to you, Violence! Lord, there's violence in Israel, your people. But you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and there's conflict and it's abounding. Lord, I don't understand. So if there are times, please keep this in mind, where things happen in your life and you say, I I don't know why. I don't know why God doesn't seem to be answering this prayer. Well, if you know Christ as your Savior and you've taken a legitimate prayer request before the Lord, He does hear you. And he will answer your prayer. Now, I know what people say. They say, well, you know, sometimes it seems like he doesn't answer my prayer. Well, maybe I have to deal with some sin in my life. Because the psalmist said in Psalm 66, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. So even as a believer, I could be storing up, doing some things very disobedient to God, and it kind of blocks what God wants to do in my life. But you know what we do as believers. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So yes, God hears our prayers. Even in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul struggled with pain. He said, there was given to me in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan. You know, um, we who have experienced some pain, we can identify with this, right? Physical pain? Uh, is there somebody unique in this room who doesn't, who really likes physical pain? I'd like to see a hand. <laughs> we don't. We don't. We don't. And um, we want to get it taken care of, okay? And the Apostle Paul said, Three times I sought the Lord for this thorn in the flesh. And it was probably an eye problem, uh, a visual problem. And uh, there could have been pain. Uh, a lot of people, Bible scholars, believe that. 
So he, he wondered, is God really interested because I am suffering? And the answer is yes, God is interesting. Uh, interested rather, and and he worked in Paul's life. Now, very quickly, uh, let's keep moving along on this. Yes, people do wonder about God's love when they experience pain and suffering. In fact, this causes some people to say, "Well, uh, you know, I'll tell you what kind of person I am. I'm a deist." Many of the founding fathers of our country, not all of them, uh, a number of them rather, were deists. What's a deist? A deist is the name of a person who believes that there is a supreme being, but that supreme being will not intervene in the lives of people. And that's not what God tells us in his word. Um, They even call God a disengaged deity. He's not really engaged with people. Yes, he is. He's a close God. Let me give you a couple examples of that real quick. Remember when Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden? Right after creation, they were created perfect And um, the Bible tells us that uh, Adam and Eve heard the voice of the Lord God, the sound of the Lord God, walking in the garden in the cool of the day. In other words, there were times when God's presence was right down there with Adam and Eve, and they walked through the garden, and they would talk with the Lord, and he was close to them. And yet they still, again, disobeyed him. What about Moses? God's uh, man Moses called to deliver the people of Israel. It says in Exodus 33, verse 11, And the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as one speaks to his friend. All right, let me give you another one. (laughs) Is God distant or is God close? God's close. Okay, here we go. You know this one real well. Here we go. Psalm 23, the psalmist said this. I'll start it, you do it with me, and I'll cut you off at the end of the verse. Here we go. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. There it is. None of us want to look forward to the time when uh, we may be called home. Okay? We all have that urge and desire to live and to experience the blessing of God in our lives. But the time may come when we're close to going home, please remember that the Lord's going to be right there with you. Absolutely right there with you. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. And then, of course, the greatest example of God coming to us, and every Christmas time we celebrate the coming of Christ, uh, the Word of God says very clearly, the angel appeared to Joseph in a dream and said to him, Joseph, Take Mary to be your wife because she's going to bring forth a son and uh, you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means there's your point right there. God is with us. He's close. He's not a God who is uh, very remote and far from us. Now let me give you another tough question. We're dealing with some tough things. Anytime you deal with the subject of suffering and evil, it's tough. All right. Please remember that I said that, okay? Because sometimes people say, "Well, you know, you gave me some scriptures, and but we can't give people scriptures without compassion." People are hurting. People down in Sutherland Springs, they're hurting. They need prayer. They need concern. They need compassion. And and we're never those who say, "Well, just go to the Bible and grab a verse." That's not what we're saying. 
But we are saying things like we've already touched on. If you pray, yes, God will answer your prayer. But not maybe in your timing. Not in my timing. But yes, he does answer the prayer. Does he care about you? Oh, boy, does he ever. You ought to start looking at the verses in the Bible where people started to realize that God really cared for them. God cares for every one of us who are here this morning. All right, let's do one more tough question. We'll close it out. The tough question goes this way. Do we value what God values? Do we value what God values? Our Western secular influenced minds do not easily grapple with this question. Do we value what God values? Stay with me for a minute. I said we were going to deal with the tough things. Is it possible that our comfort, our health, and our pleasure are not God's highest values for us? Wow. Look, I'm on your side. I'm on your side. I love comfort. I, I love health, and I, I like to enjoy things. However, here's the question that relates to that. Remember, we're dealing with tough things. Is it wrong for God to allow us pain if we become stronger, wiser, more compassionate, less selfish, and experience joy that others don't have if he allows pain in our lives? What's that saying? It's simply saying, if God does allow pain in our lives, it's not to hurt us. It's only to draw us closer to Him. Now look, I'm with you. I'm on your side, okay? That's easy to say here, standing here on a Sunday morning. But if I got a pain and it won't go away, I'm, and I'm crying out to the Lord, what I do need to remember, Ken Rogers needs to remember, is the Lord is still with you. I've got to remember that. They are tough questions. They are really tough questions, and I thought it would be good that you would hear them. God does promise to deal with sin and evil in his time. And I guess one of the good verses, apart from the, uh, the Hebrews 9, 27, which we looked at, would be the Acts 17, 31. This will be the last verse we'll look at. Acts 17, 31. Here Paul is speaking to those who are hearing some of them for the first time about Jesus' death and resurrection. Acts chapter 17 and verse 31. One of those verses you might want to mark in your Bible. Because here it says, Because God has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man, and that's capital M, whom he ordained. He has given assurance that this day of judgment is coming to all by raising him from the dead. What an awesome, awesome God we have. He is an awesome God and Savior. And he's give us, he has given us assurance that someday all men will be judged and stand before God. The man that committed that atrocity last Sunday will stand before God and answer for that. And here's another doctrinal issue. I don't have the verses to show you, but they're in Matthew. The question sometimes people ask, will there be degrees of suffering in hell? 
Will those who have committed the worst of the worst crimes, will they have degrees of suffering? It, look, nobody wants to go to that place. But yes, there are degrees of suffering in hell. And believe me, he will be in the worst place of suffering. He's already rejected God. You see, there's two things that we think of when we think of that man who committed those atrocities last Sunday and the man who committed those atrocities in Las Vegas. You have to keep two things in mind. Number one, he had a heart problem. His heart was never touched by God. Jesus said out of the heart, out of the inner being of a person, comes hatred, adultery, lying, and murder. It comes from within inside a person. Listen, sometimes people say, well, he was mentally ill. Well, there's a sense in which he was probably mentally ill, but the problem was a sin problem. It did, just didn't happen like that with a snap of a finger. It was a sin problem. He never allowed his heart to be changed by God. So it was a heart problem, and the other one, and hang with me for just a minute, was an anger problem. He was really anger. And Jesus warned in the Gospels that anger and the committing of unjust anger can lead to heart murder. And you see, his heart was filled with anger. So God says to us, he says to us, deal with your anger, you know. Deal with your anger very quickly. In fact, the Lord will help us to deal with it. He really will. We need to keep in mind that the day is coming when there will be judgment, Acts 17.31. Jesus will be the judge. And then lastly, we have to keep in mind that there will be an end to suffering for believers. There will be an end. The no more verse, the no more verse is Revelation 21, 3 through 7. It's actually verse 7. God himself shall be with them and be their God, and he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, sorrow, nor crying, nor pain, for the former things are passed away. I, I like this uh, statement of Max Lucado. He's quite a writer. He really is. He said, I've been asked the question, where is God when we suffer? Christians, where is God when we suffer? And Max Lucado, he's not trying to be sarcastic. He's not being sarcastic. He says, God's right there with you. So when you're suffering and things aren't going so good, he's not going to leave you. You know the verse. The Lord says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So, yes. So does God care? Absolutely he cares. Is it easy to say when we're in a service like this together and we're comfortable? Yes, it's easy to say. But please remember and and never forget the awesome character of God. God knows what pain is all about. In fact, there's one more verse I want to mention. People kind of read right over it when they read Isaiah 63, verse 9. But it says, In all their affliction he was afflicted, and the angel of his presence saved them, and in his love and in his compassion he redeemed them. In other words, (laughs) that's um, Isaiah 63, verse 9. I've had people say, I've never saw that verse before. Well, it's easy to read over, but the point is, when the people of Israel were going on their wilderness journeys and they were disobeying God and they were wandering away from God, it it grieved the heart of God. But the text is very clear. Does God care? What does the Scripture say? 
in all their affliction, he was afflicted. And so, yes, God is a caring, loving, close God. And you'll remember this, and I'll close in prayer. He's a caring, loving, and close God. But at times it doesn't seem like he is. And that's being realistic. There are times it just doesn't seem like he is. But he really is a caring, loving, and compassionate God. Let's close in prayer.